Hello, puppet. All right, testing one, two. This is how I'm going to do it. What in the world do you think the effects okay, are? Thank you, Jason. Hello, my name is Dr. Hall. <laughs> Dear friends, let's talk about how Jesus is a member of the Godhead, eternally existing and just know, uh, listen, just know what they mean or not. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Camera one, camera two, camera three. Camera, camera one. one. Oh, one, two, three. But we don't know what they are, so. Let's see if we can get this. Oh, yeah, that works too. Oh, I like that. That's sexy. Right there. Is yeah, that... I want to point it at your mouth. I, like, I was, I'm getting way more of him. Is this better? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right, boys. You feeling good? good Any enough. better, there'd be two of me. Okay. Good enough. Jason? Yes. When you're talking to people. That camera. But this is your camera. That's my camera. This is your camera right now. Okay. Dr. Hall, when yeah. you're talking to people, like if you want to drive point home, Debbie, who's sitting at home watching this. Yeah, she is. You're talking to but people. she's not watching right now because we're not on Facebook. Okay, I'm going to do that just yeah. like that. Yeah. Talk. When you're talking just in general or to Jason, you can look at all right. So can I do it like this? Welcome to Theology on Tap. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the producer. I'll fix it in post. That's the, oh, geez, Louise, that's a beautiful thing, fixing it in post. Let's say all kinds of heretical things and see if they can, like, make it sound like we're... <laughs> and then we we'll somehow create something. You actually could do the reverse and make it sound heretical. I'm pretty sure G Jason said that Dr. Hall is God. I'm pretty sure those words came out. No. Look, I have proof. Look, I have proof. Oh, the... All right. We ready? Yes. Casey, are you good? Yep, I have. I'm going to clap this in. All right, boys. Maybe you're ready. I thought you were going to clap us in. You just... He did. Oh, you did. Okay. All right. All right. You ready? Yep. Welcome to Theology on Tap. My name is Jason Miller. I'm the discipleship pastor here at Zion in Clear Lake, Iowa. And I'm here with my pastor, good friend, and boss leader man, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Patrick Hall. I think hey. you're right there. Right there. I'm right there. Hi. Yeah. Uh, so today, we, we've actually been on a little bit of a hiatus yeah. the last couple months uh, there's just been a little bit of turmoil in the world and some uncertainty. Not something we planned. Not something we planned. Uh, but one of the things that we discovered is when we first went in quarantine, we started doing things online. Right. And we actually found some really great responses from it. But with everything going on and trying to get church ready, we kind of took a couple, couple month break. And now we're back. Right. Now, until we're able to start meeting again in person, we're going to be doing Theology on Tap videos where we're going to be talking about different theological conversations. Yeah. And today we're talking about communion. Yeah. Now, I know when I mentioned that to you, you were pretty excited yeah, about like wanting to be a part I like, of that. I like the idea of talking about some of the things that uh, we use in the church on a normal basis. They're, they're thought of, they're um, kind of expressed in a variety of different ways. Yeah. And it can be kind of confusing, but... If you've grown up in the church, this is what you think everybody does. You think everybody does it the same way, and you think everybody has the, the same thoughts as you have. And that's not necessarily true, and that's why 
uh, you decided to talk about it, and I, I think the idea of, of exploring a Holy Communion, and there's some other words for it that I know that you want to talk about. I'll hold off for that. Um, it's going to be uh, not a right or wrong issue, yeah. but it's going to be an, a, hopefully an educational time, an opportunity for people to really understand that what other Christian brothers and sisters are experiences similar might not be exactly the same, but it's quite similar, and uh, they'll find a lot of commonality and find out that hey, um, it's more of our tradition, or it's maybe just tweaked a little bit. We think about it just a little bit differently. But the big question we're going to talk about today is why? Why do we think this way? And not that it's right or wrong, but there's a reason why Catholics think different than Baptists who think different than Lutherans. So uh, that's why I'm excited. Yeah. Well, and I think that's so critical. So one of the things that even the word communion yeah. has different meanings or, or different language to it, right? Um, some people call it the Eucharist. Right. Uh, which is another word for thanksgiving, right? right? Some people call it the Lord's table, uh, the Lord's supper or communion. And I know for me, I wasn't raised in the Lutheran church. Matter of fact, I got saved in a Baptist church. And for the first 12 years of my faith, I had a very, uh, I saw communion through the lens of more of a symbolic thing that took place. Ah. And what's interesting is I know here at Zion, we have a lot of people who aren't Lutheran. Right. And so sometimes they don't always know. Matter of fact, one of the questions I often get is, oh, you guys are Lutheran? I didn't know that because our branch of the way we handle our Lutheranism is it's clearly a core distinctive of ours, but we don't make you a Lutheran in order to be a part right. of what we're we doing. We make you a Christian. That's right. Well, not we, but the Holy Spirit and our, the way we express our Christian faith um, is ultimately Lutheran, but uh, the Lutheran aspect isn't our goal. Yeah. Well, because the goal isn't to be Lutheran, it's to be followers of Jesus. Right. That's what Luther wanted. That's right. <laughs> so he I, didn't even want to be called Lutheran. No, he, was, he actually was kind of offended. Like, yeah, he wanted to be called freedom. Yeah. He wanted to be, because we're free in Christ. That's what he was looking for. Yeah. So I remember when I was doing my MDiv, uh, I was at a church called Community of Hope, which happened to be a Lutheran church. Yeah. Pastor there, a guy named Per Nielsen. And, and I went so, to seminary with him and oh, his brother. Love Per, and so grateful. And I remember as I was going through our classes, I started realizing that I was aligning more and more with Luther. Yeah. And so I went to him and I said, Per, I think I'm becoming Lutheran. And he goes, no, Jason, you're becoming a Christian. <laughs> and at first that sounds like he's saying that being a Lutheran means you're a Christian. But in reality, what he was saying is, no, the reason why you feel Lutheran is you're starting to really understand what the heart of Christianity is, which is grace, faith, and, and it's not about works. Right. And so really I wasn't aligning with Luther. I was aligning with Jesus right. and Paul and the apostles, right? So... Um, Real quickly, I, I want to I talk about two key words that I think are, are going to be helpful for us as we move forward, and that's the word sacrament and ordinance. Mm. Um, now, yep. I think one of the reasons these are, again, sometimes we have these weird Christian words in the church that if you're not familiar with the church, you're like, what the heck does that mean? Right. And so the first one, let's, let's talk just briefly about sacrament. Another word for sacrament is mysterion in Greek or mystery. Right. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on what... What does it mean for you to partake in a sacrament, the mystery of God's grace? Well, it's a mandate, first of all. It's a mandate. It's something that God calls us to do. Are you a Christian? Yes. Okay. Then this is something God calls you to do. Now, you could be obedient or disobedient, but you are mandated by your, late, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to, to do this, 
to take uh, the bread and the wine and uh, receive it as the body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, so when I am asked to take it, it's a matter of obedience. So some people I, I watch, well, you know, I'm really not ready. Yeah. Okay. Um, then before you leave, you better be ready. <laughs> and if you know we're, we're, we're taking uh, the sacrament today, get ready. And if you say, well, I, you know, I, I just, I'm not comfortable. Yeah. Well, get comfortable because I'm not always comfortable to take out the garbage, but the garbage man is coming. Yeah. And on Tuesday morning, I have to have it out there, ready or not. And God says, this is what the table has been set. And he says, come. And as often as it's offered, take it. Yeah. Not as often as you feel like it. So take it. Whenever it's offered, take it. And sometimes we go to another church. And we go, well, can I go? Can I not go? Am I allowed to go? Should I go? Should I not yeah, which go? We're going to be talking about that in a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So those are the kinds of reasons that why I think, uh, is that what you asked? Well, what, what makes it a sacrament? So, okay, so yeah. what makes it a sacrament is God commands it. Okay. God says, this is what I command, and then he gives you elements to do it. Yeah. Uh, and um, are you going to get into the two of them now? Yeah, so we, uh, we have in sacraments, so the Catholic Church, which again, if, you, if you're familiar with church history at yeah. all, um, the, the church that was predominant at the time of Luther was Catholicism. Right. Now you had Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox, but we're not going to get into that today. Right. Luther was dealing with the Catholic Church, and in reality, Luther never wanted to leave the Catholic Church. No, he just wanted to, out. He wanted to see a Reformation, a reform in it, right? Right. So um, when the Reformation happened... Part of the sacraments in the Catholic Church, there's more than two sacraments in the Catholic Church, and we're not going to get into all of those. But there's seven. There's seven. And there's two big ones that a lot of Protestants, I don't want to say all, because there are some who actually don't believe in sacraments. Right. Um, but there are two that even the Catholics, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Reformed, all believe in, which is baptism and communion. The Eucharist, right. And in the, the sacrament, the language of mystery is that God does something mysterious through the sacrament. And, and I think that's one of the things that for me, I started realizing the beauty of communion when it was no longer just symbolic, that there actually was something, there was grace involved in it, not salvation grace, but... Uh, no, we're going to talk about that. Yes, we are. Um, because we, we, we do de definitely need to talk about what a sacrament does yes. and is, why it is salvific in nature. Yeah, and that's, I think that's where a lot of people misunderstand. They think something being salvific is the same as saving. Mm -hmm. and, and so, for instance... You're not saved because you take communion. You're saved by faith in Jesus. Yeah. But there is something saving yeah. in the work of communion. Right. And, and I think that's one of the things that was a big distinction for me. I just, I couldn't get my head around that. That's a big one though for everybody, Jason. I think when you, when you uh, think in, the, in uh, a rational, logical mind, you think if this is salvific, if I'm going to be saved, well, then I could just drink the, the, the wine and, and take the bread on my own, and now I'm saved. I, and that's it. But, but it's far more than that. So much more, yeah. And, and as we get into it, people can, can start to see and understand, I'm hoping that by the time we get done, that they'll see that, especially those two in particular, you, you can, the baptism and, and Holy Communion, Lord's Supper, uh, the Eucharist, whatever you're going to call it, that you actually can see there is something uh, transforming that takes place. And the other one is the word ordinance. Now, 
Yeah. Uh, coming from a Baptist tradition, which is what I'm, I was saved in, I was brought into faith through the Baptist tradition, and then I was part of a vineyard movement. And my first ministry full-time was at a non-denominational church. Yeah. Uh, part of the Reformation, you had individuals who essentially said, hey, we don't want anything to do with Catholicism. So the, some branch of some denomination, some Christian said, we don't even like the word sacrament, so we're going to bring in the word ordinance. And it's kind of a semantic issue. It but is. The reason why they did it is they wanted to say, well, ordinances are things that Jesus commanded us to do, but there's no, there's no mystery to them. They're simply just, oh, we obey them because they were commanded. And so they do baptism and communion because Jesus and Paul talk about baptism yeah. and Jesus and Paul talk about communion. But in reality, I, I think I would agree, I think we're in agreement here, is sacrament and ordinance are basically the same word. Yeah, they are. They have the I mean, same they, meaning for the Lutheran right. or for the Presbyterian. It's a practice is yes. really what it is. It's something we do. It's a rite, a practice. Yeah. Um, when you talked about uh, confirmation, it's a big deal. Um, the Catholics, they call that a sacrament. But it's not ordained by Christ. No, it's not. Yeah. That's man uh, ordained. Yeah. It's set apart by man, not set apart by God. Uh, but in the Catholic Church, it is, for them, it is a sacrament. Um, last rites. Um, marriage. Marriage. And Catholicism, yeah. Yeah. But with last rites, we do um, last rites similarly. Yeah. Our understanding of it, because it is the right, we call it the right of healing. Yeah. They call it last rites. And last rites, uh, you know, a priest will go and perform last rites with somebody who's dying. Sometimes they do it um, after someone's died. They want them to have last rites. Well, last rites is actually an anointing of oil of the sick. So they're hoping that uh, in this last rites, uh, that it will be a healing, that they'll come back to life or that they'll be healed. And so that's why they do it even while, after they've, they've died, or at least that was the original intention. But that was pre-Vatican II. Yeah. Well, so when we look at this, I think one of the questions we have to ask is, why do we take communion? Now, I know uh, Salvation Army, for instance, they don't take communion. They believe it's okay if you do, but they don't believe it's necessary for the spiritual vitality of a Christian. Same thing with Quakers. And I grew up Salvation Army. I know. And, and again, we could have a big I conversation. I love Salvation oh. Army Church. And I think one of the things that we want to be super aware, uh, um, conscious of right is we're not saying that Lutheran is the only right way. And we want to be respectful that all these disagreements, they're there because the Bible is not as clear as we want it to right. be on what happens in communion. And so I, if you're watching this, regardless of your faith tradition, I, I hope you see and feel this. We're going to talk primarily about the Lutheran perspective because, well, we're Lutheran, right? right? But we are not saying that uh, Catholic... Baptist, uh, any Methodist, of those views, Methodists are invalid. Right. They're just a different, a different flavor, a different stream. Yep. But they, most of them, with the exception of Salvation Army, a few others, all believe that communion is a, a, an essential part of the Christian faith. Same thing with baptism. Um, so why do we take communion? And one of the things that we look at, first, Jesus did it with the disciples. Um, so when, when we get ready for the Lord's table. Yep. We'll do uh, that today. Yep. We're going to do that at the very end, which I'm right super there. excited about. Um, Jesus first instituted the, the Last Supper as he was heading to the cross. I mean, this was the night before. And he breaks the bread. And it was actually during the Passover, which we're aware of that. Uh, another reason why we do it, it was part of the early church. Uh, we see very clearly. So check this out. Uh, 1 Corinthians, for those of you who are watching. 
Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And obviously it wasn't just meant for the disciples because we see it passed on from generation to generation. And it was part of the early church and then even passed to the church fathers. And we still do it today. But we see evidence of it in Acts chapter 2 when it says they, they gathered together to break bread for prayer and uh, to, for teaching. But 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Um, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Um, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right. So it's clearly part of it. And then I think also Jesus gives this challenge where he says, Listen, if you want to follow me, you need to eat of my body and drink of my blood. And in the early, before the church even formed, there were those that were turned off when Jesus said that because they thought it was cannibalistic. They were actually outside of, of a, people's homes and they'd be walked by and they'd see the, what was going on and they'd kind of get close, try to listen. And then they, they uh, would spread the rumor. They're over there drinking the blood of Jesus. Yeah. These people are cannibals. And it just wasn't uh, uh, one, one area or one place, but it was happening in all the churches in the Middle East, and they were trying to figure out what's going on with this sect of, of believers. Um, is it about can, cannibalism? I'd like to go da- back a, a one step with you, Jason, yeah. and, um, uh, and, and, and make sure that, that our, our listening audience understands that communion, really, when, when we go back in time, we're, we're going back to the Hebrew people in Egypt. The Passover meal. And the Passover meal... But the, 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 the blood of the lamb is what the, the wine is supposed to represent. And the, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John says, is Jesus. But they took the lamb um, to protect the people from um, the uh, angel of death. So the angel of death would pass over the people in Egypt so that they could be set free. So that blood um, was salvific then for the Egyptian people, so that are uh, the the Hebrews and not the Egyptians. If you're, if you're a believer in Christ, um, you need to uh, put this the blood over the doorposts, and that that's what um, that was symbolic in the sense. But it was far more than symbolic, wasn't it? No, it, actually, it saved their lives. It did, and that was to save the firstborn. It was the last of the plagues. Right? Yeah, the last of the plagues. And that's why uh, Jews to this day still celebrate Passover. Yes, because they recognize that it was deliverance. Uh, and it was being brought out of the land in exodus, of so to speak. Right. And as Christians, we were brought out of the land of death and hostility from sin and Satan. Right. And so for us, uh, when Jesus instituted it that night with his disciples, this was something every single one of them had done they since they were children. And as it was passed on, this is being passed and on. And it's now a new covenant. Yeah, this is my new covenant. Yeah, and I think that's, you. thank you for bringing us back to that, which now we're going to talk briefly about the different views. And we're going we're gonna, to, okay. the last one we're going to talk about is, is Lutheran, because okay. I want to spend a majority of our time on that. Yeah. Um, so there are different views. Yeah. Uh, I was raised in what's called a Zwinglian view. Right. And Zwingli was, he was a counterpart of Luther and they didn't really like each other. Sorry to much. hear about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's and, a big deal at our seminary, at Luther Seminary. That's a big deal. Zwingli, they just, uh, they butted heads constantly. When it was not just around communion, then Anabaptism oh. came out of that. And, and yeah. people got killed because of this stuff. Yeah. Like this was. The wars. The wars were, oh, they were, they certainly were not Jesus-like. Right. <laughs> 
So Zwingli, uh, what he proposed was that communion was a memorial and he does it because Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. And that's kind of what he fixated on. And for him, what he believed, it was a non-literal view that the body is representative of Jesus, but more importantly, that there's nothing spiritual that takes place. Rather, the spiritual act is that it's one of obedience. And the blessing comes because we were obeying Jesus. And so that was Zwingli's view. And that's actually the tradition I, oh, sorry, I just tapped my mic. That was the tradition I was raised in. And I remember um, I had a friend because they believed in that it was just symbolic. His communion for his youth group one time was soda and pizza. Oh, brother. And he's like, hey, if it's symbolic, you can just do whatever you want. And so they did pizza and soda for communion. Now, I look back at that now and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I think it's sacrilegious in that sense. Now, if there's no other um, elements... I think that if you didn't have anything else, then, then, and you were sincere about it, do it. But this was purely just an act of, we can do whatever we want because it's Yeah, that, <laughs> the act of freedom, they think. But I think if you look at the, um, uh, the words of Luther, um, when, he, when he talked about Holy Communion, and you, you talked about it, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me. What he said, and, and they have him actually pounding on the table, he says, this is my body. This is my blood. He, he, then we do it in remembrance. He never said, this represents my body. This represents my blood. He never said that. He said, it actually is. And that's what, when we get into that understanding, those are the big words um, when, uh, rather than remembrance. We, we, of course, we always want to remember. But when you put the emphasis on remembering, and you don't put the emphasis on, but this is what we're remembering, then what is remembrance really going to stand for? What are you really remembering? And I I think for me, um, part of the reason why I wanted you on is I went to, where I did my MDiv was Northwestern, University of Northwestern St. Paul, great school. Mm -hmm. But it's not a Lutheran school. Uh, In fact, I think it maybe has some Baptistic roots, but honestly, the way they approached our education was... Here are all the views, and as long as you can defend your view biblically, we're okay. Yeah. So I didn't get a distinct Lutheran, yeah. uh, um, a Lutheran distinct education. Right. And I'm like, so I could give my opinion yeah. on, on Lutheran communion, but I'd much rather have somebody who went to school at a Lutheran here's seminary. They, here's why they say what they say. Yeah. And I agree with you uh, um, by going to a, a school like Northwestern, it really makes you think critically, doesn't yeah. it? But we had some professors at Luther that really challenged us. And then they say, so which one is Lutheran? Which one? Well, that's good. Yeah. So which theology would you say is Lutheran? So we still got that that critical thinking aspect because theology is is absolutely um, about philosophically understanding a particular discipline and understanding the study of God, but how do we do it? And if we don't do it critically, if we don't really question every single thing in the Bible, every word in the Bible, we miss out on it. And as Lutherans, we really believe the the Word of God is the inspired, inerrant Word of God. So every single word is that's parsed out, we're going to make sure that word says and does what we think it's supposed to say and do. And that's why this discussion, I hope, isn't so much heady, 
but informational it for needs people to be hard. To un- yeah, hardy. Yeah. Hardy. It needs to be hardy, right? Hardy. Well, and even even the critical thinking. Like I'm so grateful for my education yeah. because it did. It allowed me to look at this. But I think one of the things that I missed, and this happens with anything, um, you can have a general view of something, and that's good. But it's like medicine, right? You have right. somebody who their their specialty, <clears throat> and I'd rather have somebody whose specialty is Lutheranism speak on this, where I can give a general overview. But I'm going to miss a lot of the nuances, and. And I, even within Lutheranism, you just kind of said this, there are differing views in Lutheranism. Different stripes, different understandings. Yeah. Basically, uh, to be Lutheran, you know, you have to believe uh, in the real presence, but we'll, you, we'll get into that. Yeah. But going back just another step, when, we, when you look at the uh, ordinances, um, uh, there's the holy order, or the sacrament, yeah. the holy order. Um, we care a lot as Lutherans. And I think every denomination cares about ordination. And that's what holy ordinance is. It's, it's about um, holy orders are um, priests. And, and uh, we, we, we ordain priests. And we set in a bishop or we set in a cardinal of the Catholics would. Uh, all of that is, it's a, it's a big deal. Now, they, the Catholic Church calls it a sacrament. We just call it a rite. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was covenant at one time, the evangelical, I mean, I'm still covenant, evangelical covenant uh, denomination, I'm still covenant, but covenant church comes directly out of the Lutheran church, and Luther come, Lutherans come right out of the um, Catholic church, and the Baptists come right out of the covenant church. So it's, it's really, uh, the connections are, are really great, and they all care about their priests, care about their pastors, care about their either a bishop or a superintendent or service coordinator or whatever you want to call that person. They're all about service. No matter what it is, it's all about service. And that's why taking Holy Communion itself, just the Holy Communion, this is something something we are called to do. And uh, as we do it, uh, a minister, the word minister means table waiter, and it's for the bread and wine. It's to be that table, to set up the table of bread and wine. And that's why we're so meticulous about it. That's why we're, we take it so seriously. It's our job yeah. to set the table correctly. How people think of it, if a Catholic comes and, and takes communion with us, how I, how, what I do to the bread and wine, the words I say to the bread and wine are basically the same thing the Catholics say. How you receive it. How a Catholic receives it, how a Baptist receives it, how uh, a Methodist receives it, Luther's receive it. You, we're going to receive it how we understand it. That's why, in a way, it's going to blow our theory here. <laughs> Does it really matter? Well, <laughs> and that's so like with Catholicism. So the Zwinglian view or often yeah. sound non-denominational Baptist assemblies of God, yeah. uh, anything that tends to hold more to an Arminian position yeah. or an Anabaptist position, uh, sees it more through a memorial, which again, clearly the Bible says that we are supposed to remember. And that's yeah. what the purpose of a memorial. So it, like you said, does it really matter? And I think where it starts to get critical, or helpful, not critical, helpful, is as you begin to change how you see it, it really does change the experience because you're open to it. It's not that God's like, oh, you have to believe the right thing in order to do it. But if we don't know what we're looking for, we're going to miss on what God is trying to do, right? Yeah. So in Catholicism... Uh, Catholics hold to a view called transubstantiation. 
And, and there's, they literally believe the, the elements become the body and blood of Jesus. And then you have what are called the accidents. Right. And the accidents in Catholicism is that the, the material is still the same. It tastes the same, smells the same, looks the same. It's a substance. The substance of it changes. So you're literally eating the body and blood, eating the body, drinking the blood of Christ. Right. But accidentally, it still looks the same, tastes the same, has all the DNA or components, chemical components, so to speak. And within that, um, I think part of the Protestant Reformation, some of the overcorrection became because they were so, wanted so little do, to do with Catholicism they went too far to the extreme. Because as you said, it started Catholicism, Lutheran, Covenant, Baptist, and then everything else yeah, after that. Baptist. But and it's like then the, out of the Baptist, then it was the E-Free Church. Yeah, and it seems like each time you get one step further, it's like six degrees of separation, but it gets yeah. diluted till eventually you don't even realize where you came from. You just think your thing always existed yeah. as its own separate thing. And right. I remember in my church history, when we did church history in school, yeah. realizing how connected everything was. Yeah. And now we're on the other side of history. So many of the wars and fights were silly. Yeah. But it's silly for us because we're on the other side. For them, this was life or death stuff. Like their understanding was this is heaven or hell. That's why they were going, willing to go to war. But I think they missed Jesus in the process. <laughs> well, they definitely missed Jesus. <laughs> they, they, they inadvertently missed the gospel. Uh, and we, we can bad. still do that today. I think a hundred years from now, I wonder what are the things we're going to look back on and we're going to be like, wow, did we miss Jesus in that? Well, you know, that's why we, we ought not to uh, argue and fight, but we ought to uh, debate um, um, the difference of, of what takes place in communion. You talk about transubstantiation. Well, then the other side of it is Zwingli, is consubstantiation. And well, consubstantiation is Lutheran, right? Nope. Really? Consubstantiation is the well anything that's not real presence. Oh, so there's okay. three. There's consubstantiation, transubstantiation, and real presence. Okay, so th so this is good because even in even in my own research and the way I was trained again, didn't go to Lutheran school. Yeah. So what I was taught um, was you have con uh, you have transubstantiation, consubstantiation, which is Lutheran, and then you have real presence, and then you have Zwinglian. So you would say that there's that's a that's a misunderstanding. No, that's misunderstanding. Okay. Um, real presence is uh, so. Let's go back to the bread and wine. So this bread, which is just bread, and it if this if we were in um, Alaska, they might not have bread. They use blubber. Did you know that? And in, in, in uh, other parts of the country, it's whatever their susten main sustenance is. So you take the bread and you take the wine and you use the words of institution on the night in which our Lord is betrayed, right? Those words. And then in, transubst in transubstantiation, we say it, 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 it transforms into this. And consubstantiation says it, nothing happens but... Um, uh, the, the presence of Christ doesn't come into it. It's just uh, symbolic. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's so different than what I learned, which that, this is interesting. So uh, I was part of Reformed. I was a Reformed yeah. pastor for several years. Yeah. And they actually would hold to the real presence, the spiritual presence, but they don't call it consubstantiation. And I, I, it's, this is really interesting. Okay. Um, and again, I don't, I'm going to take your word on it because again, you went to a Lutheran seminary. Yeah. You're, the language is probably, you are more familiar with the nuance. So uh, 
when we look at the difference between real presence, yeah, and let's so, so I think that's a great place. Why don't we get into what what Lutheran um, communion is and okay. the understanding? So first off, um, why do we as Lutherans believe? What do we believe about the Lord's Supper? What takes place? There's a the lot Lord's of stuff, Supper? and I'm going to shotgun it. Okay? Yeah, well, okay. otherwise we'd be here for hours. Right. So one thing about um, the Eucharist, what are we thankful for? Um, we're thankful for what Christ did on the cross. Um, we, have, we have such uh, great um, respect for our, our uh, brothers and sisters in Christ from other denominations. Uh, for instance, the, the, the Baptist denomination, I think of uh, Billy Graham, and he has altar calls all the time. And I love altar calls because without um, uh, an altar call, you wouldn't be able to get Holy Communion because you're being called to the altar. Hmm. And the real presence of Christ enters into your heart. So you're calling uh, people to come forward to receive the bread and wine, which is the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a different nuance to it. But on the other hand, so many Lutherans miss it. They, they miss the fact that when they're coming up, remember, that's what you got to remember. Remember that Jesus died for your sins and you are receiving him as your Lord and Savior again. So every month or it used to be every week in some, some churches, um, but whenever it's offered, you know, you are to take it. So why do you come up and take it? For one thing is for healing. So people say, well, you know, I really can't make it to church. You know, I, I'm just not feeling well. Well, why don't you come to church? And well, A, we'll pray for you. And B, we'll give you Holy Communion. Of course, there's real presence in that communion. The real presence. Yeah. And so that's better than any medicine to me. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you ask for it? When we go into um, nursing homes, although we don't go into nursing homes right now, do we? No kidding. We, uh, as pastors, we take our communion kits and, whoa, and then we will have them upside down. We shouldn't. <laughs> and here's, here's a communion kit. And in this communion kit, we have a little bottle of wine. We have uh, cups. And we'll throw them anywhere. And then we have... <laughs> this is unscripted and unplanned. It's yeah, just happening. Yeah, I had the, I've got it upside down, so that's wonderful. <laughs> that's just absolutely terrific. And then we have um, um, little wafers. Yeah. Okay, and we carry them... Not because it's magic, because communion isn't magic. Communion is a mandate from God. It's, we're mandated to do this, and we're, we're asked to do it for a purpose, because God wants to uh, be present in our lives. Well, would you agree that there's something different between mystical and magical? Sometimes, yeah. we, get, sometimes we get those words confused, thinking that something is mystical. That's the same as magic. Yeah. It's not. So uh, what, what do you think the difference, how would you describe the difference between being mystical but not magical. Oh, mystical is things we, we can't really understand. It's a profound, um, uh, like marriage, it's a profound miracle, okay? But it's, it's something we don't quite understand. But when God's, God's word asks us to do it, it's the, it's the uh, word and the water in baptism. Yeah. It's the word and the, the uh, bread and the wine outside of the word. So God calls us to do it. There's elements for us to do it, and the outcome is that God is in it, through it, with it, yeah. 
under it, on top of it, which um, around that, it. That actually got to my next question. So even the word mystical, the root of it is mist, which is the same thing as mystery. Yeah. It's there's something that happens that are, is unexplainable. Trans- something is transformed. There's a transformation. So here's how I like to look at it. Have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? Yes. Okay. I did it like nine times when I was 13. <laughs> no, when I was at camp, I did it 35 times. Okay, so you go to camp, and, and, but something happens. You, your heart gets transformed, yeah. right? And Jesus goes in you. Okay, so let's take the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So now we have bread, and we have wine. And so when you invite Jesus into your heart, does his flesh go in your heart? Yeah. No. Does bread go into your heart? No. But his presence goes in my heart. So this represents in that sense, yes, it represents it, but it's far more than. He says, this is my body, this is my blood, and his presence comes into our heart. So we invite Jesus into our heart. So that's why we take Holy Communion. We, we want it for, for healing. We want it for selfific reasons yeah. because we know that when we take it, it's a mark to the devil. It's a mark to the devil. You know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, oh boy, this guy's saved. This guy's do, following out of obedience to the Word of God. He's taking the real presence. Whether you believe it or not is really irrelevant. Uh, the devil believes it, and believe me, God believes it, or he wouldn't have to send his son to die on a cross. He didn't just die on a cross so you can remember it. It's far more than that. That's why it, the mystery, as you use that word, the mystery of it is that there is a transformation. Yeah. So there's, we, we could say... So faith in Christ is what saves us. And then communion, communion is the ongoing saving of us. Yeah. Because like, again, it's, uh, it's the idea, the best way I can think of it would be um, someone's walking down the street and a bus comes and you stop them, you grab them, you saved them before they got hit by the bus. It doesn't mean they could never be hit by a bus again. Yeah. But the idea of being saved by Christ is that we are, we're saved from our sin. We're saved from God's judgment, punishment, judgment. We still, there's still judgment. It's just yeah. different. But communion now, it's when you're sick. I don't know about you, but there are times I, I need to be saved to be rescued from my sickness, not just once, but over and over again. That's not talking about ultimate salvation. It's talking about incidental salvation, those moments. And uh, would you say there's a difference between sanctification becoming, like how, how does communion, how is that a part of our sanctification? Well, it's a part of uh, the obedience part. Yeah. There's a sanctification there, be making sure you're, you're obedient. Um, when, when he says, take it as often as, as it's offered. But I, I, um, I'm stuck with something you said earlier when you, when you said, uh, it doesn't save us. No, it doesn't save us. But when, when uh, you take, uh, when you do baptism... Um, that is a different um, tool in yeah. your bag where um, uh, the Bible says baptism now saves. Well, what does that mean? It's a sacrament. Is, are we saving a sacrament? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. And these sacraments help us. Uh, they uh, remind us. They encourage us. They inf- reinforce it. And, um, but you always have the freedom to walk away so once you take communion, it doesn't mean that you're, you're saved forever. But if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a believer, believe and be baptized, you shall be saved, says Romans uh, 10. So if you're going to get into a relationship with God and you start taking communion and then you walk away, you can always walk away from God. I don't know why you would, 
but you do. But something happens, and this is important, Jason. I think Lutherans have had um, their particular practice as understood in their particular church, whether it's a little country church or a big suburban church, I don't care. They get a particular thing and they think that's how all churches are and all Christians are. So the question is begged. If something dramatic and something supernatural happens in uh, Holy Communion, how old do you have to be to take it? Yeah. Well, and that, so that's an interesting, because you get into confirmation and First Communion and all Do you all have the, to earn it? Yeah, that's a great question. No. So I wrote a paper in seminary that, uh, on um, infant communion. Because if you, can't, if you can do infant baptism, you certainly better be able to do yeah. infant communion. And then the professor said, all right, well, how many of you guys agree with Crazy Pat Hall? And nobody stood with me. And I felt about this high. And then the, my professor said, well, I guess there's only one of us. And I thought he meant me. And he said, me. And he raised his hand. And Gerhard Ferdy. And he is known in Lutheranism worldwide. And, but why don't we practice it? Yeah. Well, some people did. Some people do. But every church chooses how they want to do it. Third grade. Why third grade? Something happened in third grade? Some mystical thing that happens at eight. Yeah. It's eight years old. Oh, my goodness. And one of better... my kids, nine in third grade, did he miss uh, the they boat? They missed it. <laughs> they missed the boat. Yeah, I have a Baptist friend of mine. He didn't get confirmed until he was 16 because that's the way they did it. Yeah. Okay. But Catholics, they do it younger. All, none of that made sense to me. So what does the Bible say? Yeah. What does the Bible say about it? There is no age. So I thought, well, if there is no age for infant baptism, then there better not be an age for Holy Communion. Those are our two sacraments. It's not what we do. It's yeah. what God does to us and through us. And I think it's um, Jesus dealt with the laws of man, the traditions of men. Yeah. And I think sometimes we have modern day Pharisees. That's that's. Oh, and they're in the they're in the pews. They say, oh, no, I, I'll offer it to the uh, uh, a three year old. And the mother go, oh, no, my my child has not gone through confirmation. And it's what well, I think the reason why wow. we do it is because we're, we misunderstand the difference between what's something man instituted and what's something God instituted. Yeah. And here's why I think biblical literacy is so important. I really believe a lot of the reason why people think, the, think those traditions are biblical is because they don't know their Bible. Right. They haven't read their, they Bible, read their Bible. So they didn't know. They go, well, that's not real. Yeah, that's, that's nowhere in Scripture. That's something you're making up. That's right. Oh, yeah. And we do it. And I understand why they do it. They do it for order. Orderly. They do yeah. it, um, you know, for, to, to help like, uh, um, uh, what is it with the Jews when they turned... Uh, a bar mitzvah. Bar mitzvah. A bar so it, mitzvah, might be yeah. a, it might be a bar, bar mitzvah and, uh, for them. So it's a... a rite of passage. Rite of passage. Yep, yep. And they look at it in a rite of passage in the church. Well, that's good. So let's give them the... Uh, for infant baptism, why do we give infant baptism and then teach them what infant baptism is later? That's crazy. We ought to give them infant baptism and then teach them about it and then give them communion and then teach them about it, give them a Bible and then teach them about it. We wait till third grade because they can't read. That's the only reason. I didn't start eating apples until I found out the, the benefit of an apple. Right, exactly. You, know, you, had, you had me eat an apple yeah, and then I was yeah, like, yeah. oh, here's the benefits, right? Yeah, so I want moms and dads and people who are listening, grandparents, and let these kids have it. I mean, on, on Christmas Eve, I think every home ought to have 
uh, communion in their home and do Holy Communion. And remember what Jesus did. The gift of life came to us. The author of life came to us. Uh, the word became flesh. It dwelt among us. Emmanuel. I mean, let's, let's take the holy presence of God right then and there. Every Christmas Eve, I just think it, and that's what I love about our faith, uh, the Lutheran faith, is that we're free. Yeah. We're free to do some of this stuff. And at Zion in particular, um, uh, well, let me back up a second. Is One of the reasons I wanted to become a pastor is because I wanted a place, uh, I wanted a church to be a place for my friends to come to too, where they could hear the, the word of God in a way that wasn't condemning and was free. And anybody could come to the altar at any time. And that's another thing with Holy Communion. We have closed communion. Why do we close communion? Well, and that's... It's not our supper. It's the Lord's Supper, right? And I, I remember... Um, and it was actually, this, let's get to our kind of our last question because wow. we kind of answered our other ones without meaning to. Uh, well, actually, we meant to. I just didn't ask them. <laughs> right. Um, there is a discussion about who can take of communion. Now, Paul yeah. actually yeah. says some pretty strong words. Why don't you read them? Yeah, and I'm going to. Okay. Um, so one is who can partake in communion? Do you have to be a Christian? And why should you or should you not participate? And Paul uses this language of examination. So I'm just going to read it. And, oh, this is good. And I think we have to have some, let me give some context. Okay. So originally the way the church did communion, we're, we're kind of, we've lost the beauty that took place in communion from a communal perspective. Originally, it wasn't just communion with God, it was communion with one another, and they would do what was called a love feast. Mm -hmm. And the love feast, and now you also, it's helpful to remember that the average person was poor. You didn't have a lot of money, so they would gather all, everybody would bring their own food, kind of like a potluck. 99% <laughs> of the people were poor. That's right. And so this might be the only awful. meal. Yeah. The only meal. You had rich and poor at the same table. And they would all eat and they would all participate. And then they would take the Lord's Supper. And it was called a love feast because you were loving one another and loving God. The two great commandments yep. or three, if you had the new one from Jesus. Right. And so here they're coming in and then they take communion. And it's a, this giant celebration. It's not a five minute thing where a pastor breaks bread, drinks some right. wine, and then, then we move on. And it wasn't done once, once a month. Um, this was a big part of the early church. Yeah. And, and just what a cool thing. Oh, and so we actually, my, I have a small group on Thursday nights, a couple small group, and we did dinner and we did communion at the end. Yeah. And it was so fun seeing the difference and what communion, it felt different. It was a different experience doing it as we ate together. Yeah. And then I got to give them the bread and the wine and blessing them. And it, it just had, there was a holy moment attached to it. Not that there isn't in the church. Right. So here's what's happening in Corinth. But Corinth, it is different. It is different. Because of the koinonia fellowship. That's right. And that's the communion is not just communion with God. It's meant to be communal. Mm -hmm. So in the Corinthian church, I always get a kick out of when people say, Jason, we just need to get back to the first century church. And I'm like, have you read <laughs> the New Testament? Because they were messed up. And what was happening in Corinth is one, you had the rich people were eating first. And sometimes the poor weren't eating at all. They got the table scraps. They got the table scraps. And there was distinction. So you had elevated people. People of status were over here and lower people were over here. And, and so Paul is addressing them. And he's like, listen, you got all kinds of jacked up stuff going on in this church. I mean, there's sexual immorality, oh, yeah. all kinds of just messed up stuff. And they're bringing this to the Lord's table. So uh, 1 Corinthians 11. So then, 
Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now here's, this is, this is very Lutheran. That is why many among you are weak and sick. Because they, instead of the blessing of communion, they're getting the discipline of communion. Yeah. Um, that is why so many of you among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep, meaning they've walked away. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Okay, so I'd love to hear who do you believe, or rather, what do you believe Scripture says? Because I don't, just yeah, like, I got it. Yeah, neither, no one should really care what I think about communion. We want to know what God's Word says, right? Well, there's a couple things in there that I think, can I hold that text? Yeah, please. Uh, where, where did you just read from? Uh, right here. Oh, it's right there. It's one, of, it's one of these two. I can't see it. I'm looking at it the wrong direction, so. Okay, it starts yeah, at verse it 27 through yeah, 29. Yeah, I got it. 27 is up here. All right, here, here's a couple things that I want to point out is we need to examine ourselves. Yeah. It doesn't say somebody else is going to examine us. That's a big, that's a key thing. Yeah. But we aren't capable of really examining ourselves, are we? We're not really honest with ourselves, are we? The scripture says we aren't yeah. because we don't even know the heart. We don't even know our own heart. We don't know our own motivation. Only God knows our motivation. So we have a, a, a time where we examine ourselves uh, that maybe we're silent. You, you sit uh, in a pew and you say, uh, uh, let's examine ourselves. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. The truth is not in you. But if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's take a moment of silence and self-examination. And what do most people do? They usually go right to their sin that they've always committed. They're committing the same sin over and over and over. And they're asking, but what about the sins you don't know? What about the sins you forget about? How do you do that? So now you're going to get sick? It's not about that. It's about allowing God to truly examine your heart, allowing God to bring things up. That's why if, if something comes to you, if you know that you've sinned against your brother, leave your, all, leave your um, offering and go make, um, make peace with your brother and, and come back. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. So here, um, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread. For those who drink without discerning, uh, they're going to bring judgment on themselves. Now that's that's pretty, pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, but there's different kinds of judgment. So who should come? Believers? Non-believers? So here's what I think. You're doing an altar call. Who comes up? Who should come up to, to the altar call when Billy Graham calls up? We don't want those Pharisees coming up. I mean, we, I mean, we want only the Pharisees to come up, right? The good, the righteous, yeah. they know. But, but what about the publicans? What about the normal people? What about the people who are, 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 of, uh, are poor? They're thieves, they're robbers. They're, such of these were, uh, were, were us. This is who we are. So I believe that non-Christians shouldn't just come up and mishandle it. 
but non-Christians should come up and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. This is an opportunity for them to come and bend the knees. So many people, I've heard so many testimonies of people who have told me, I didn't really believe until I took Holy Communion. Something happened. I was, I was just blown away. I'd never been in a church before, and they offered the bread and wine, and so the pastor said, come on up and take it. And I did, and something happened. Now that I've heard other people say, well, you know, I don't think there's anything there. Well, it isn't always a feeling, is it? Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's, a, that's another thing that takes place. But the judgment, and they'll be disciplined. And I think that's why some of the Lutheran uh, faiths and, and uh, or denominations and, and other churches may say, well, you know, we'll, we'll have you come in and do confession first, or we'll let you know. The heart is good that what they're trying to do is protect the people, but it becomes legalistic yeah. and becomes about them and not about the individual. It doesn't say, it says confess your sins unto one another. Yeah. And if you, you want to have somebody say, like we say, um, after you've confessed your sins, we in the Lutheran church say, now, as a called and ordained minister, the church of Jesus Christ, by his authority, not our authority. I'm just saying that you could trust me, I'm doing this, but it's not who I am. It's by the authority of Jesus Christ. I want, want you to know that your sins have been forgiven. I don't absolve them. You have been absolved by Jesus. And by taking the blood and body and blood of Christ, you should get yourself right with Christ first. So, um, you know, pray that God would forgive you of your sins. But it happens simultaneously, simultaneously like simultaneous epicotter. We are uh, both uh, sinner and saint at the same time. So you come up as a sinner, you come up to receive the body and the blood of Christ. Is your heart prepared? Nobody's getting there. And as soon as I take it, there's, God knows our heart. God knows the, the uh, temperature of where we're at in our faith walk. Are, are we walking away? Are we, are we getting closer? Uh, do we even have a relationship? A lot of that is going back to the mystery. There's a lot of uh, profundity going on there. So, but what are your thoughts? Well, I think, and this is what I was saying is, um, the more that you're aware of something, the more significant the encounter is. Like yeah. sometimes you don't realize what's taking place until you're in it, right? And it's, it's like the thief on the cross. You had two thieves that were experiencing the same Jesus on yeah. the cross, but only one saw him as salvation. Yeah. And for me, again, coming from that Baptist tradition, which I don't, there's nothing wrong with it. I learned a lot of wonderful things yeah. in the Baptist church Love and it. the vineyard. Um, but when I started to see that there was something spiritual and mystical, that it wasn't just symbolic, yeah. that there is something grace-giving there's something saving in the process. I'm already saved. I'm going yeah, to heaven. Right. But Jesus is continuing that work of salvation, that ongoing salvation in me. And it fits almost with what Paul said, you know, work out your salvation with yeah. fear and trembling. Right. Communion became part is. of my working out, right? Yep. And it was very similar. And I, I want to do one of these for baptism as well, infant yeah. baptism, because I think be this would be really helpful. But I remember the first time I baptized a child, an infant. Yeah. And uh, a good friend of mine, his name is Patrick Doman and his son, Henry, and I, I wept being a part of it. So here I am baptizing because I encountered, I experienced. Yeah. And the same is true when I started realizing that the Eucharist, that there is something holy and mystical, it made it more than just a, got to take the body, got to yeah. drink the blood, yeah. now on to the next thing. 
And I, I guess one of the reasons why I wanted to do this for this video on Theology on Tap is I think there's a lot of Christians who are missing, missing out, missing out, ah, missing out. Freudian error. Yeah, a little Freudian who are missing out on this incredible encounter that is not just a feeling. Yeah. It is, there's truly something grace-giving, but until their eyes and ears and hearts are open to it, it's like they're just they're putting a hand to it. Yeah. And I, I know just because of conversations I've had here at Zion, because we have so many people from different backgrounds, because we're not, we, Zion is our primary thing that we say, Lutheran, we're Zion Lutheran Church, but the emphasis is, no, we're Zion. Lutheran yeah. is just our flavor. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, so my hope is, is that people watching this, especially those who have questions. Otherwise, it would be idolatry. Yeah, because if we can that's worship all. Luther. Yeah, it's and, not about being Lutheran. That's it's right. It's about being the body of Christ here, our body. That's right. Um, I th I, my hope is that it'll open up the beauty, the mystery, uh, the mystical of what God wants to do. Because I know for me, it enriched my faith and it also made my worship not my worship experience. My worship became more holistic because experience is about what I get out of it. Yeah, right. no, but worship is directed at God. And so when I see communion as an act of worship, yes, I do get an experience from it. But more importantly, now I'm truly worshiping Jesus for what he did in that act of communion. It's, a, it's true communion. It's, it's, it's Jesus, the incarnation being felt through this bread and wine and the elements, yeah. And the elements, and I am thanking God for what He's done, worshiping Him, and He is blessing me in the process. And that blessing isn't just a feeling, it's actually transformation. Then I have a question for you. Um, because of uh, sin, uh, the sin nature... Oh, you're a pastor, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. So as a pastor... <laughs> as of right now. As a pastor... <laughs> <laughs> As a pastor, uh, do you sin? Yes. Okay. So is one sin any worse than another? No. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real um, edgy here a second. Ooh. This, is, this is the place to do it. Yeah, right. This is, is the place to be edgy. So we have some Catholic priests who have fallen into some pedophilia. We have some other denominations, Luther's, Methodist, Presbyterian, fall into other areas of sin. So here's the question. Does their sin invalidate the words of institution? So like, I can't take it from this priest because he did this. I can't take it from this pastor because he did this. I can't take it away from this pastor or take it away from this or take it from... Um, um, this denomination, because I don't believe that way, is that good? Is that right? Is it okay? Well, I, I, there was a there was a historical war, a battle that happened in this because there was a group of priests that were denouncing certain things and they were baptizing people, but because they didn't agree with believe the right things, all their baptisms and all the people, I think it was the Montanist, Manatonist or Donatist, one of them, one of those people, it was a long time ago, yeah. but now all of a sudden it's like all these, all these baptisms and marriages and things that they did were considered uh, invalid. invalid because it was the person. Yeah. And I think, I mean, obviously the answer is clearly no, because it's not the person giving it that makes it mystical. It's the God who it's gives it. It's the word. Yeah, it's yeah. the word become present. It's the word. So yeah. if a sinner does the words, 
uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or on the night in which our Lord is betrayed, he took the bread. And he uses these words. It is the word of God, not the person, but it's the word of yeah. God being spoken, that spoken word over the elements. And I know it's, we've been about 60 minutes we've been, We've been a little over. So, well, I, I think I, I'd love to end with this, and we're going we're gonna to take communion. We're going to do yeah. it. And here's what I'd love to do. If you want to join us, if you want to get out, of, I'm going to give you a moment. Get some wine or something to drink, grape juice, get some bread, and heck, partake. But yeah. uh, I think one of the things that was interesting for me, at one point I was in a denomination where I wasn't ordained, yeah. and I wasn't an elder, and I wanted to take communion, and I was chastised for wanting to do communion with people. Yeah. And, yeah. and I, I understand and respect the order of what they were trying to do, but I'm like, I remember my youthful arrogance because I was in my 20s, and I was like, Paul, they're missing the point. Yeah. And I, th I think they did, but sometimes we can still miss the point when we make this just symbolic and we move away from that. There is something holy yeah. that takes place in this. But as a parent, you can do communion with your children. Yeah. In fact, I'd encourage you to. There's something holy that takes mm -hmm. place. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with your small group. Because if the only people who can do communion are pastors and priests. It's not going to be done very often. It's not going to be done very often. And that's how, why it was done daily. I mean, in their But angels, the main reason they did it is they, they wanted to keep it, the ordinance holy. That's right. And orderly. Separately. That's right. That's why I don't need it to be done that. in order because we didn't want coffee and donuts or pizza and pop <laughs> or whatever that kid did. We don't want that. If it was Baptist, it would have been lemon cookies. Yeah. And uh, fruit punch. <laughs> All right, Doc, you want to lead us? You sure. want to lead us in communion here? So um, we typically find it like this. Uh, we put a patent, it's called, over uh, the chalice. And uh, uh, be because of the um, bread being uh, the body of Christ, we cover it and we cover the, the wine out of, out of respect. You don't have to. We just do. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be done. But then to prepare the table, we, we take that off. And then we take the bread and we say, it was on the night which our Lord is betrayed. He took the bread. And after he had given thanks for it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, here, take and eat of it, all of you. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then again, after supper, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks for it, he gave it to his disciples and said, here, Take and drink of it, all of you. This is the new covenant in my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. And then we always say the Lord's Prayer after just to kind of get things right, kind of remember with us. So let's, let's pray that together. Our Father, Father who, who art, art in heaven, heaven hallowed, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then we go... You can give me a whole lot of Jesus there. Yeah, the body of our Lord given for you. Is it okay to laugh during communion? Or does Absolutely. It it's a somber? celebration. Oh, you mean it's That's not a, a good idea. Yeah, my mom, I remember, came home once, uh, uh, come back from the communion rail, and I was at the church I grew up in, and I heard these ladies in front of me, oh, look at that Joan. She just always is so smiley and happy. She's not sorry at all for her sins. And I didn't understand what they meant, and it really hurt my feelings. And then after I went to seminary, I realized, hey, 
okay. What happened at the altar? She did business with God. Yeah. Sometimes you're going to feel sad. Sometimes you're really going to be celebrating. It so depends on if you see it as Good Friday or the resurrection, right? What? It's whether you see it as Good Friday or the resurrection. And there you go. There you go. Sorry, I didn't So this is by intinction, it's called. Yeah. You dip it in, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then bring it to yourself with the other hand. There you go. There. And now you can do me. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll have to get that right. I know this was a, a, a long session, but I think uh, we can hopefully, small groups and other people can use this, um, this dialogue as a, a learning opportunity. I'm going to give you your own Jesus here. <laughs> His we body broken hands. for you. His blood shed for you. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, hey, while he's chewing, I'm going to say this. Thank you so much for being here today. Fun. Um, Theology on Tap is normally meant to be a place where we can have dialogue and discussion and even disagreement. But because we can't do it the normal way, we're going to do more of these videos uh, where the, it's really, we're going to talk about more specific theology and we're going to be doing another one. Um, I'd love to do baptism uh, and so be, or, uh, baptism and other things that are part of our distinctives. Yeah. Uh -huh. Because again, I think a lot of people want to know. And, yeah. and I, I, I think it's always good to have more of a dialogue about it than just watch an informational well, video. Well, wouldn't it be fun to one time um, to go through a liturgical service? Why do they do the a, a liturgy the way they do it? Why is that? Um, I think that would be a, uh, an interesting thing. And why do we do the dock service the way we do it? Yeah. Uh, they're both important, I think. Well, hey, thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you, Dr. Hall, for being here. Great to have you. Thank you to our production team, Ben and Stacy. You guys are amazing. Thank you for all the hard work you do. And all those of you who have tuned in and have watched this, thank you for your time. I hope you found this beneficial and helpful and hopefully help you grow in your faith. Well, I'm going to give the, the last blessing at this. Now may the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, yeah. Jesus Christ, strengthen and preserve you until he comes again. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. That's what we do. That's how communion works. Uh, take it as, as often as you get it offered to you. Take it. Amen. Blessings to all of you. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, that's a break. All right. Uh, do we want to do the political one? I actually would love to have Dan here for this, but I wanted to get it out before the election. Danny, my yeah. brother. Yeah. yeah. So, so it went 20 minutes. So this one is actually going to be more of a Q&A um, because I, I'm, we're just going to do, I think we